Hello and welcome to the Wilderness Wonders podcast. Today's episode is pretty special and unique. I had the chance to sit down and chat with Ben Woodruff and John Griggs. Now Ben has an awesome podcast going on right now and an awesome YouTube channel and he has these really cool conversations with John. Uh, Both of these guys have been in falconry for quite some time now and they're excellent educators. So it was such a wonderful opportunity to be able to sit down and talk with them about a somewhat controversial subject of car hawking. Now, when we recorded this, I was a guest on his podcast, but Ben has graciously allowed me to upload it to our podcast as well, so you guys are able to listen and find it here. If you guys are interested in seeing more Ben Woodruff stuff, make sure you go check out his YouTube channel. It's just his name, Ben Woodruff. He's pretty easy to find, and he's got all sorts of falconry and wildlife content. Thank you guys so much. Now let's get to it and enjoy. Hello, everybody. Ben Woodruff here with another episode of the Falconry Podcast. A few weeks ago, John Griggs, Jason Norman, and myself sat down to have a little discussion of the controversial topic of car hawking. Uh, In doing so, uh, between the three of us at separate remote locations using different software and some new hardware, we ran into a couple of glitches here and there. When I went to edit it, I found that uh, we had some areas here and there where there were unintentional interruptions that we couldn't hear the other person didn't realize we are doing so and things of that nature. Uh, we haven't had a chance to try to fix that through re, uh, re-recording and in post-production I wasn't able to fix it just simply with editing. So I wanted to give you a heads up at the front of this podcast so you're aware of those. I appreciate your patience and understanding with those limitations. We'll get it fixed for all the future podcasts and hope you enjoy this episode of The Falconry Podcast and as always, happy hawking. You're listening to the Falconry Podcast with Ben Woodrow. Hello, everybody. It's Ben Woodrow here with the Falconry Podcast. I'm here today with a couple of friends. John Griggs and Jason Norman. We are having a good conversation and an interesting topic. But first, uh, John, Jason, why don't you guys introduce yourselves and talk a little bit about your channels? I'm uh, John, and I run a Falcon call, uh, channel called Falcon's Ledge. And this channel, I review flight sims and space sim hardware. I do a bit of flight videos, but I also occasionally post falconry hunting videos. If you like aviation or flight or space sims, come check it out. Uh, link will be in the video description. If you're interested in my falconry videos, I also do a vlog sort of thing on TikTok under the same name. Cool, cool. Thank you, John. Awesome. <laughs> I'm uh, Jason Norman, and uh, my channels that I... Oh, sorry. Uh, I'm Jason, and the channels that I have is Wilderness Wonders. Uh, I do have a YouTube and TikTok, uh, so if you guys are interested in falconry videos, uh, we are slowly expanding more to wildlife in general as well. So if you are interested in that, again, Wilderness Wonders on YouTube and TikTok. Cool, cool. 
Thank you, Jason. Thank you, John. And again, if you don't remember their names of their channels and sites, be sure to look down below in the description and we will have links directly to those. So, uh, well, before we jump into our topic, uh, we just want to give a couple of quick updates where we're at this year on uh, our current projects. Uh, me personally, I've been training a new uh, Lanner Falcon and I finally gave him a name. He's Egyptian, so I had to give him an Egyptian name and I ended up going with Khufu. Uh, which is an Egyptian pharaoh, a great pyramid builder. And he's doing really well. He's slow, but he's steady. He's learning quickly, and he's been a joy to work with. So he's uh, him along with, uh, I've also been uh, training a rehab golden eagle that I'm prepping to go in the wild, hopefully in October. Hopefully he'll be ready to hunt enough to prove himself and go back in the wild. So those are my two big I've projects right now. the name Khufu because he likes to say Khufu. Khufu. Yeah. Yeah. Khufu. Uh, Khufu. It's an Egyptian Where have name. I heard that name before? It it, it's, it seems so familiar. <laughs> yeah, he's he's a he's a very 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 famous pharaoh. Um which I don't like all the early stuff. I'm I'm an 18th dynasty man. That's right smack dab in the middle of Egyptian history is where I'm at. But I'm like, you know what? I like two syllable <laughs> names for my birds if I can get away with it. And Khufu, you know. I'll say Khufu, but it's it's, well, it's we won't Khufu. hold you to the proper translation. <laughs> but yeah, he, trans- he was a good, <laughs> great pronunciation. That's the word. Sorry, I'm. It's like it's just like Americans saying Tutankhamun when it's Tutankhamun. Yeah, like, well, nobody says that. Well, um, so. I have a sharp shinned hawk that uh, we took as an IS this year, and uh, he got sick. He got coccidiosis about oh, twenty days ago. It was about that. Um, he's gone through full treatment and is fully recovered. He's doing great. Just started training with him again and had an interesting occurrence yesterday. I almost, tr- uh, you could say I almost <laughs> traded up or down. Depends on your point of reference. So I took the bird out to do a little bit of training. See, because we have took this bird as a baby in the wild its parents would have been bringing in hampered prey uh sometimes very hampered sometimes not very hampered where they would release it and and the young would actually chase it the iases their branchers would actually chase it and so we do something kind of similar because you you have to teach that lesson you have to establish the prey picture you have to show them where their food comes from because if you want to hunt with a bird especially occipiters if they think food comes from your hand and that's the origin of food, you're going to have a bad day. It's not going to be a good experience for you. They're going to be a really aggressive about your hands. And that's a bad thing. So it's really important to establish that prey, prey picture. Yeah. So I'm out there with a sparrow tied to a string uh, that is a little ways away from me. And I let my bird go. And he decided he's going to kill that flower down on the ground next to it. And, uh, yeah, and then shortly after, the flower next to it had to go. Eventually, though, he took off up into the air, recognized, saw the sparrow again, came down and slammed down. It was great. You know, he did his job. So one of the things that I've been working on with him is trading him. So that's oftentimes uh, a tactic that we use to one more way of, of just kind of controlling the situation and being able to handle the bird without any bad behaviors. So what happens is that once they've dis- dispatched their prey and they've plucked part of it, then we come in and usually cover the prey or hold on to it in some way. And then we throw out pre-prepared meal food for the bird 
And the thing is, they actually like that. That's why they go mm. for the pre-prepared food is because it's easier to eat than trying to tear apart an entire body of a sparrow, right? So he switched over to it. Great. Yeah. The transfer went well, which made me happy because we hadn't practiced very much with sparrows, just other pieces of meat or whatever. So I sit down right next to him. He is six inches on my right side. I can literally reach out and touch his back. And what I'm doing is just kind of transferring him, you know, having throwing out another piece of meat, and he'll go to that piece of meat, toss out another one, he goes to that piece of meat, just feeding him up the rest of his meal for the day. And while he was sitting out plucking, I was, my head was on a swivel. I was looking everywhere because sharp shins are prey. They're predators, but they are most definitely prey. And that applies to all micros, you know, even up to male Cooper's hawks. You, you know, whether it's a red tail, whether it's a female Cooper's or a goshawk or whatever, don't think it can't happen to you because it can. I, I, yeah, they're not at the top of the food chain. No, not at all. And I, I have to admit, I did not pay this much attention when I was flying kestrels for so many years and how many times I had a kestrel on game where it took me a few minutes to get to it. I just, anyway, I was, a friend of ours lost a bird recently to a Cooper's. And so I've had my head on a swivel. After I did the switch, I sat down next to the bird, six inches away from me. And I'm not paying as much attention, but I still am looking around, right? Because in my mind, I'm thinking, bird's pretty safe. He's right next to a gigantic human. But I go down to put the last piece of meat on the ground and caught some movement out of the corner of my eye. My head was turned towards the bird. Coming from straight in front of me, it was a female Cooper's hawk coming in to kill my bird. Mm. So I reached out and grabbed the Cooper's hawk in midair. Crazy. <laughs> Crazy. I, my, I was reaching from the top down, okay? So I, I grabbed it right around the waist. And I couldn't keep a hold of it because, I don't know. It's, it's yeah, it's already going downward. Yeah. Oh, it, my God. It, there wasn't anything solid for me to push against, right? It was just midair. But I did get a hold of it. And... It ricocheted <laughs> off the ground past my bird and then took off. Oh, it's crazy. I mean, if I mm. hadn't have come in contact with it, it would have hit mm. the bird. And, and mm. then, I, then I would have caught it. You know, I would have grabbed a hold of it. It was six inches from me. Um, was, it, was it first year? Yeah. Passage bird? Passage bird. Yeah. Yeah, so, so it's probably hit that, 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 those hunger pains. It's just like, <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm having to learn how to hunt for the first time and really figuring things out. So, Drought year, hard to find food. Uh, hey, there's something fluttering there. I'll go after that. But it's, it's interesting terrifying. that those moments of, of adrenaline, right? That mm. I still, right now, I mean, this was yesterday. I still remember the feel of her hips under my hands. Mm. Mm-hmm. Like, because it, it was so vivid because I, it was a huge adrenaline rush because I was, my heart was pounding because. I don't know, just the whole situation with, you know, our friend losing his bird and in the same kind of way. And I couldn't believe what I had just seen or experienced because I think all of us have probably seen, you know, I've obviously seen Cooper's Hawks watching my bird when I'm training in the front yard or whatever. I just never expected one to come down when I was present. Yeah, but that's emotional whiplash to go Ooh, from your yeah. sharp shin going like, um, I'm not going to go after that sparrow. I'm going to catch flowers instead. La, 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 la. To a Cooper's Hawk trying to take it out. That is that is terrifying. Oh, it was. And like so like I said, you know, if, if it would have got my bird, you know, my bird probably would have been toast. It was a big female Cooper's. That, yeah. that can cause a lot of damage right away. 
But you oh, know, yeah. I'm, I I would have had a Coopers, I guess. <laughs> not I'm the way glad I don't have to deal with that. At least not yet. Yeah. Try, trying to look at the positives of this, but well, the positives oh, are man. it didn't end in a negative way. My bird didn't get hit. I don't even think he saw the thing coming. In fact, he turned around and screamed at me because I put my hand near him when he was eating. And I, I'm, I'm like, come on. Oh, by the way, I named my bird Timo. Timo. Uh, yeah, Timo. He's a character from League of Legends who is a little and a pain in the ass, so it kind of fits. But I'm like, Timo, you realize I just saved your bacon, name. right? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, awesome. thank you for the update. Glad that Timo made it okay. And uh, Jason, what are you up to currently? Uh, so I am on my third season now, uh, and nice. my first my first two seasons I did a red-tailed hawk on rabbits, mm. and we're not changing things too much for the moment, but we are flying a Harris's hawk right now. Sweet. Um, my Harris's hawk, uh, she uh, was born, well, she hatched early spring. Uh, so she was a bit of an early bird, and we've been hunting jackrabbits. Um, it, cottontail season just barely opened up. We haven't really gone after cottontails just yet, because mm-hmm. um, we've only seen jackrabbits in our area for the most part. But she's caught two rabbits so far, and she's doing pretty well. Sweet. Uh, and uh, things are going pretty smooth. It's a it's a little bit slower progress than. Uh, starting with like a fresh Harris's hawk out of the chamber, yeah. Um, versus a passage red tail. I feel like a passage red tail knows what they're doing, but then a Harris's, you kind of got to teach it from the ground up, and then I'm sure the next you know step is imprinting, where <laughs> yeah, you're really teaching them from the very start. So uh, it's it's really cool to see the different flight styles, and so far I think I'm preferring the red tail flight style. Really, but I really am enjoying this Harris's hawk yeah. and her personality and her more willingness to stick close. Um, we even tried car hawking pigeons a little bit with not very much success. Uh, but what we did have success with with pigeons is we would we're in Utah, mm-hmm. um, and I would go along the Jordan River, and there's bridges over the Jordan River, and pigeons hang out under those. Yeah, and so I we would corner the pigeons between like the bridge wall and the path and then the moment the pigeon would try to fly off my bird would cut it off and catch it mm-hmm. and so we caught three pigeons that way but it 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 was a little bit boring because the flight was maybe you know six seven feet and then <laughs> caught the pigeon yay you know and, and yeah. so then i was like this is cool but I, <laughs> rabbits was way more way more thrilling <laughs> so we even though you know we're having the horrible hemorrhage disease rabbit hemorrhage disease at the moment we still have had a lot more fun Mm -hmm. um, hunting rabbits and um she's she's been an excellent bird so far working well with my dog and everything like that so nice um it's it's been a lot of fun working with her so far that's awesome that is that is great news and that's and you know sometimes those shorter flights too that aren't as exciting for us are still good confidence boosters for the bird and oh absolutely they just could like like probably my most embarrassing one like that. It, this came to my mind because of the bridge story uh you know the inlet park down uh where utah lake turns into the jordan river it was yeah. i was there one time i had this tiny 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 male golden eagle named rage and we walked across the bridge and we're looking and the water's half frozen i'm like are there are there any ducks we can go after you know can we try to and all of a sudden these two ducks came flying under the bridge and they just looked up and what and they, and they both like they're like 
see humans and then eagle and they're like and one of them hit its head on the bridge fell in the water and the eagle jumped off straight down like 13 feet just caught this stunned duck in the water and is like i got it and i'm like oh you idiot i'm like great good okay congratulations uh yes you caught it but i'm like it was just like such an odd thing, but those those things. Yeah, but then it'll boost his confidence. Exactly, like especially yeah, yeah. when I went in the water after it. It's like, hey, it's worth pursuing into difficult terrain or even into the water because look, there's a big reward. So, so yeah, those those are yeah. the. And we'll be we will be doing ducks. Um, we're just kind of waiting for that season to open too. Yeah, and hopefully we'll be doing canal ducks. That's the way to go. Um, they're they're a little bit easier. You can run into them a little bit more consistently. Yeah. Um, and it kind of and forces a lot them of the, to make a, a lot choice. of the canals. Yeah, a lot of the canals you can also drive alongside. Mm-hmm. Um, so even if you s- see them and you want to, either you can car hawk canal ducks in a lot of places here if you really want. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are plenty of opportunities where you can get out of your car and then go. Yeah, and try to get the ducks. And and currently I'm trying to train my dog. My dog is a, um, a lab English pointer mix. Mm. And and she's good at finding rabbits. She sucks at pointing. I can't get her to point. <laughs> um, that might be more of a failure part of me. I'm not 100 percent sure because I haven't trained you know very many dogs. And uh, I'm right now I'm training her to flush ducks, and she's having a good time with that. Getting in the water. She when I first got her, she kind of had a fear of water. And over the year, we've been kind of slowly working up her confidence as well to try to hop in the water, enjoy the water, and try to flush ducks so that when my hawk goes after them, the ducks aren't just ducking under the water. Yep. You know, they're actually going to fly. Yeah. So so that's been that's been fun training training my dog to do that and i have to be a little cautious because i'm like i hope people aren't thinking i'm just trying to harass the ducks for fun <laughs> like because we're not trying to catch them or anything but it's weird because and, yeah. where hunting is you know if you're legally hunting you know whether it's you know gun hunting or with a bird or whatever and you got your proper permits yeah that it's like okay it's illegal to harass or bother a duck in you know in utah but and yeah. I, I had a sheriff one time being like, "What are you doing?" Because I was throwing rocks in the water to try to flush ducks out of a canal forward, so that my hawk could go after him. And he's like, "What are you doing? That's illegal. I could arrest you for that." And it was by it was apparently he lived near there. He wasn't even on duty. You're harassing ducks. I'm like, "No, I'm not. I'm trying to kill them." What? I've got a hawk here, and here are my permits, and here is my waterfowl stamp. And he's like, "Whoa, <laughs> oh, oh, okay, but just." Just don't bother them. I'm like, ah, oh. it's like, okay, okay, dude, because he's it's used so to like bizarre. kids just chucking rocks. But yeah, yeah. Well, what's so interesting about the ducks is, is the, the ducks are so being used to disemboweled by an eagle. That's not a bother. Like, literally standing over them <laughs> so at times. Yeah, and, and uh, sometimes they're not even scared of my dog, and mm-hmm. so it's like. Because um, they know they to, to train her to train her. Well, a lot of these ducks that we've been that I tried training on her first are already used to seeing dogs on leashes. Oh, gotcha. And so they had no fear. And so my dog could run up and run them over. If she, you know, if, if I'm not careful. And so I was like, all right, let's go find ducks that aren't used to people. So that they run away. Yeah. And so that's when we started going more along the Jordan river and a few canals mm-hmm. um, where they're a little bit more away from people. And those ducks reacted perfectly. And so that way they weren't getting hurt. And yeah. Um, the ducks were just flying off and, I could come back the next week. Same ducks would be in the same spot. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so that's so they were they weren't really too freaked out. So they stayed there. Well, that's part um, of the thing too. Is like in yeah. nature, 
it's it's kind of like the lion and the zebra principle. Zebras are running away from a lion, then the second one zebra goes down. They're like, oh, okay, well, that's terrible, but we can continue grazing because the lions are eating, and it's the same thing. It's it, It's survival, but once you know somebody else has been taken down, it's like... It doesn't happen with gun hunting. If you gun hunted a pond, all the ducks are gone the rest of the day. But if you, yeah. if if a bird, if you, if a peregrine catches a duck, goshawk, whatever, and they're like, oh, they'll return, and they're like, oh, okay, you know, that's nature. So it's just interesting. A lot of a lot of them will kind of think. I think too is is the ducks will be like, oh, well, we all got away when we hung out in this spot. Yeah. Success. Oh, that's a good so way to hang do it. out in this spot again. Where and a, a predator comes by again, we've got a good chance to escape because we already know the drill. That makes sense. So, That's a good point. And uh, I'm thinking that might be part of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'm giving them yeah, a as long as you're faster than Bill. Thought, but I, it, it could, could be, be just since they know the area, they're comfortable in it, and they've had success getting away from prey in that area before, so they return to it. Yeah. And. I don't know. That's a theory. <laughs> well, I'm excited for you. You're gonna you're gonna have a head start on me on the canal ducks. Uh, last year, it's kind of embarrassing, but I'll admit it now. Uh, here in Utah, not only was all the 2020 scare stuff going on, everybody's freaked out, pandemic, oh, toilet paper, but we had those earthquakes. And I, oh yeah, I remember. remember? And I was, yeah. I genuinely was like, okay, are people gonna freak out? Is society gonna collapse? If so, maybe. <laughs> and so. I didn't molt, I reverse molted my goss and my peregrine because I'm like, those are the two best birds in my mind to try to actually, in a survival situation, get food if society collapses. So now they're way behind. So they're, they're, they're like about a month behind now in their molts. I'm like, geez, I, I don't think the goss is going to be ready for the, for the duck hunt. So, uh, you're going to have to clear out those canals and tear it up for us because that's, I'm excited because canal hawking is, I, I just love it. I think it's a really active, type of flight style that's uh, a bit yeah. different than just open waterways that I, I just love. We'll see. We'll be covering a lot of the canals along the west side of the valley. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully, uh, Joseph Carter actually has private access to a lot of them. Mm-hmm. And so oh, cool. I'm hoping to hitch, hitch rides with him. And, that's a smart way to do it. And, and he's he's excited, and I'm excited to, to do that too, which we need to get him on the podcast. Yeah, we do. <laughs> we do. We do. <laughs> I, I have already talked to him about it, so he'll, he, he'll be joining us. He said us he's at some willing point. to, yeah. We just, uh, yeah, it's, it's just still getting it up, man. It's just keeping busy. I, it's like anytime I'm making videos, I, I just, uh, I crank out a whole bunch of them and then I just schedule them out so that I hopefully have stuff up and then I get busy and you know, <laughs> don't do it. And John's always like, we need to do this. We need to do this podcast. And I'm like, ah, and I, yeah, I just get, get busy. I get busy or get in car accidents. <laughs> one of the two, right? <laughs> yeah, you've got a thing for those. Yeah, it seems like uh, past four years, bam, get another one. So, but let's jump into our main topic. We're talking about a topic that um, we have a lot of thoughts, pros and cons. Uh, we all have a lot of experience on the, this topic, but uh, and that is the subject of car hawking. And um, specifically, we're bringing dun, this dun, up. Dun. dun dun dun! <laughs> indeed. Like, oh, they said it. They said it out loud. Huh? We've 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 talked about bringing up this subject for a while now, and just going over it. But we, all three of us, are like, hey, you know what? 
let's bring it up this time because there's a video that went out that caused a lot of buzz, a lot of uh, negative and positive feedback, a lot of thoughts. So, um, uh, Jason, do you want to kind of walk us through what this video is and what happened in it? And then we'll talk about it as well as car hawking in general. Uh, yeah, sure. So this, this video that had been circling around it, I would say it went viral for sure. Um, a few friends of mine tagged me in uh, the comments to have me check it out. And it's of a guy car hawking with a Harris's hawk. And, and this video was on TikTok. It ended up growing to have over 20 million views. Mm. So a lot of people saw it, huge exposure. And I think one of the reasons why it got that is because it was kind of shock value. Mm -hmm. um, so to, to describe the video, um, it's, it's put, uh, with a song, um, but it's, I think it's taken in the, or it was videoed. Well, sorry. I think this was done in the UK and I, I don't know exactly what area or country, uh, but what this person is doing is they're, uh, throwing their Harris's Hawk out the window and it's catching crows. Mm -hmm. Uh, and they're doing it in several different locations. Uh, some of it looks like it's it's near a park with children playing at the playground. Another looks like it's in a neighborhood. Um, another does look like it's more of in an empty field. And some some things to mention, it really does look like he's you know shoving the hawk out the window instead of allowing waiting for the hawk to go. With on two hands, own. no doubt. I mean, yeah, with with two hands pushing pushing the hawk out the window there, and um, and. Here in the and and I think the reaction to it from the general public was like, oh my gosh, hmm. a drive-by with a hawk. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, a lot of people were like, man, this man be committing crabs with hawks. <laughs> like, forget forget guns. Are we gonna do drive-bys with hawks? And and a lot of silly responses like that. Uh, for the most part, it had a positive. Um, response, but when presented to the falconry community, it was almost the exact opposite. Mm. Um, I think um, John saw a lot of the comments um, that were spread around on Facebook or other uh, sources yeah. um, that were yep. expressing um, their concerns about it. Mm -hmm. So I saw it on uh, on Falconry Hub, and also um, it, it's been passed around in a lot of places. But also, I re I watched the uh, video on TikTok when it came out, and read a bunch of the responses. Yeah. And there were a couple articles put out too that were uh, presented it in a very negative fashion. Let's um, let's and, be honest; so they were hit I think, pieces. I mean, yeah. So, yeah. so he's showing he's showing these highlights, and and it seemed like the response was, "Wow, this is so much of an advantage." Like they, the, these birds don't have a chance. But I don't, I don't think a lot of them really realizes that this person posting the video are just showing the highlights. He's not showing the ones that get away. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, that's kind of what I do when I make videos. Is I show a lot of the mostly highlights. Oh yeah, like the good flights and and. And who wants to watch it, you know, an hour of misses. Yeah, you know, you, here's me walking through sagebrush for an, for an hour, not flushing anything yeah, I, out. I, I, I skip a lot. Like my my two to three hour hunts end up being 10 minute videos. So, yeah, uh, it you kind of show the highlights and that's what this person's doing. And TikTok is um, 
catered towards really short videos. And so you only have, you know, 15 seconds, maybe a minute to really get a point across Mm -hmm. that you want to get. And if you just want to show highlights, you're just going to show highlights, you know, to really get people to view your content. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's kind of me thinking as a, as a, you know, content creator. Mm -hmm. Um, That's, that's everywhere though. I mean, you look at YouTube, you are not going to see a video with, you know, 300 misses or something like that. You're not going to, you're not even going to see, you know, a long wing video where the bird comes down and, and, you know, there's 10 different instances and they misses all but one. You're not going to see that. It's not going to happen. People aren't going to watch it. Yeah. So, and when I went, when, I mean, I had the chance to, to go watch Steve Chingren's birds fly and, and his birds have as high or maybe even a higher success rate than this person does at car hawking. Mm-hmm. So I, I struggle to see people, people saying this is unfair when there's plenty of other ways people hawk that are unfair, but they consider it the right way. So I, yeah. I thought the response was really confusing and, and well, we're and, and a little bit misplaced, but yeah. Maybe I'm getting ahead of myself here. No, no, you're right. And one of, one of the big things, like, first of all, we have to, we got to acknowledge the fact that in general, society in most countries, certainly in America, is becoming more and more uh, distant from a connection with their food. Meat and plants are abstract objects 100%. that just show up at the grocery store. And so Americans are among, if not the worst, in my opinion, in this way. Even your dog food. It's like, oh, what is dog food? Oh, I, I would never harm an animal. Do you have a dog? Yes, and I love it. What do you feed it? Dog food. Do you read the ingredients list? Chicken, pork, beef, rabbit. fish, rabbit, you know, all ground up as well as plants. Ground up, cooked into a star-shaped nugget. It's like you're not feeding it star-shaped nuggets. You're feeding it dead animals. It's like, well, mm-hmm. I just thought it was dog food. That's because you're uninformed. I would say an idiot, but that sounds a little cruel. But it's just you're uninformed. You don't know. And society has pushed you that way. And so when we first talk about, like, the whole idea of, oh, it's unsporting, that's a point to be made. But here's the thing. Not only is any form of hunting, especially with birds, trying to give the animal some sort of advantage... But the birds themselves in the wild without humans existing do the same thing. I mean, how many Cooper's hawks sit hanging around in a tree hiding right next to a bird feeder? It's like, that's the equivalency. I got a story for you about that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so yeah. you, yeah, you said, you said uh, a Cooper's hawk waiting right next to a bird feeder. Mm-hmm. Uh, right outside, I'm sitting here. I have a window right next to me. And last year, last summer, um, I put out a bird feeder right outside the door because I, uh, outside the window because I wanted to see just, you know, the bird, local birds that come by. Well, a Cooper's hawk started hanging out up on the fence and waiting for those birds to come by. And sometimes he'd be up on the house. Yeah. And sorry. So he'd be up on the house and would kind of sit there and watch these birds. Mm-hmm. And I'm working at my computer, and all of a sudden I hear a tonk, and then the Cooper's hawk comes down to a bird that was stunned on the ground, hmm. and and picks it up and carries it off. There's like one, that- and I'm like, what? What did you? What just happened? And and so 
a few days later, I'm sitting there again. Same thing that happened. Tonk, um, stun bird on the ground. Cooper's Hawk comes down and get it. This Cooper's Hawk had learned that if he swoops down, scares the birds, one of them is likely to hit my window and stun itself. Hmm. And then it would just take the stun bird away. Uh-huh. Not quite, <laughs> quite the reptilian brain that uh, many accuse the occipiters of having. Yeah. Like, but that... like he figured out a way to do it without even catching them. Yeah. He didn't have to. He, he could just make it so easy. Just spook them enough to have one stun itself. So easy. So it, to do. So it saw the so. patterns <laughs> and it saw in an environment what what could happen. I mean, let's be honest. That's mm-hmm. in a way... Not not exactly the same, but it, like bears congregate during the salmon uh, spawning, and they pick mm-hmm. out the best spots. They go to the same spots right where they know the salmon are gonna go, and they just eat them. And people are like, "Oh, look at the bears! They're so clever." Nobody's like, "They're unsportsmanlike." That's what they should go in open rivers and swim after them. That should be more sporting. Okay. It's like nobody says that, so we don't seem to have a problem with it when wild animals take advantage of opportunities like this mm-hmm. it's when suddenly even even less natural opportunities yeah but when <laughs> humans are involved then suddenly we do so i think about like medieval falconers on their horse going on horseback and it's like okay i'm riding up and i'm chasing after and i'm getting close to these rabbits and i've got a height advantage which is again no different than like what if you're walking around with your hawks on a on a tall tea perch so they can see far above the sagebrush. That's well, a- the horses they are more of an advantage than just a height advantage. Harry McElroy writes about this in his book, uh, Desert Hawking Two mm-hmm. or Four. Uh, I don't remember which yeah. one I have. It's about quail. So he talks about the fact that uh, from horseback, the quail will flush much closer to you than they will if you're on foot because they don't. I mean, and this is his assumption, and I think that he's correct in that the quail don't don't hear they hear the the horse's hooves rather than the uh, the cadence of a human walking. Yeah, it's the gait of a herbivore. It as, yeah, they they aren't as threatened about that. And you know, furthermore, in terms of of advantage, I think that uh, that I think that falconry in general is always about giving your bird advantage. Mm-hmm. And particularly with micros, I think that uh, the advantage of a little bit of surprise is a good thing. Uh, and I think I, out of all of us, I think I've probably done the most car hawking. Mm-hmm. Um, the majority of my kills are through car hawking, but I have some physical problems that keep me from really doing a lot of walking fields. Mm-hmm. So, And I've only dabbled uh, in it just a little. <laughs> yeah. So the you were talking about how you know the car hawking that you've done has been kind of boring because they're really short flights and everything. Well, and that's, that's usually not... how it starts. Yeah, my we didn't have any success car hawking. Yeah. Um, we the... tried, but my bird just wasn't picking it up as quickly as I hoped, and and I'm like, I really want to get her on some game and really catching yeah. stuff. Um, mm-hmm. We'll work on the car hawking later, like it, so. It tends to be a bit of an evolution, so. As you start to become successful, and and some people just stop at this point where they become successful and their bird knows exactly how to do this type of flush. And most of the time when all of the factors are in position, they've got a pretty high chance of catching it, right? But then there's the people who actually want to have more of an interesting flight. And 
And I've mentioned this person uh, on... I've mentioned this person on my YouTube channel, but he's got... Uh, he's the Art of Taxidermy on YouTube. Mm -hmm. And he's got oh, some sharp shin awesome. videos. And I've chatted with him a little bit. But... As you progress in car hawking, you start to let your bird go earlier and earlier and earlier. And so you start to see a much, much longer uh, approach and a much longer tail chase. And the only thing you're giving them is a little bit of a surprise. Mm -hmm. You know, okay, so maybe you've given them a 15 mile an hour boost or something like that. Believe me, my sharp shin hawk can do that 15 mile an hour thing in six feet. Yeah. So it doesn't really matter. Uh, it's it's really kind of irrelevant in in that regard. So if you if you were to if you were to compare it, like let's say let's do the exact same setup, and let's say maybe by a ditch there's I don't know, fill in the blank. Let's say there's some doves there, and you're driving and you see them ahead and you launch them, you know, fifty yards out out the window. What if you were sneaking up closer? What if you were 20 yards on foot behind some grass and you happen to know the doves were there and you popped up and you're, the flight is going to be almost identical with an experience. Well, at that point, yeah. yeah. Well, and we, my, my current hawk and I, we would sneak up until we were almost 10 feet or less. Yeah. And then, then we'd toss a pigeon. Now it's not in a car, but we're getting pretty darn close to these pigeons. Yeah. Uh, so. so so distance, I guess if you really want a great flight, you could put distance into the equation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, let me ask you both this question, okay? When we're talking about advantage, and I think that from a falconry standpoint, I think that this is the, the biggest complaint that you hear about it. And this is a point in which I will be straight up front with you, I completely disagree with, okay? I think that a lot of falconers get it into their head as... Well, they're hawking in this method here that I don't really like, so we should make it illegal. And falconers become their worst enemy mm. in that regard. So here, let me pose this question to you. What kind of advantage does a bird have when you have a big falcon and you have a prey-rich area, you have dogs to find the prey... And p basically pin the prey down until flush time, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, because the 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 prey is less likely to run when there's a dog because the run the dog can pursue them on the ground. Mm -hmm. You've got a bird trained by a thousand dollar drone to go up or whatever a thousand dollar kite kit or thousand dollar balloon kit. They're all something around that range when you take into account. The helium costs and all that stuff. Anyway, oh my gosh, helium. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's it's expensive. So <laughs> it's pricey. You've got a bird trained to do all of these things, right? And I know that there's also other methods using pigeons and stuff. So you can either throw that in the the thing. Pigeons aren't free either if you want to do a racing homers. So you've got a bird that's trained using captive bred pigeons, using a thousand dollar drone, using all of these things to go up to a high altitude and wait on. You release your bird when the bird is when the prey is already pinned down and it gets up to a thousand plus feet above you and you wait until the bird is in a perfect position upwind facing you and then you flush and your dog chases to keep that bird from going back down to the ground where your falcon comes in from above and knocks it out of the air. I'd say there's a lot of things that that falconer did to gain 
an advantage in that situation. And not all Falconers, yeah. not all Falconers are the same, you know, skill and, and, and success rate in that kind of a scenario. But I'm aware of a few that are quite successful and have very high success rates at this. Okay. Mm-hmm. So keep the here before we, you say anything, I completely support this method of hunting. I think it's fantastic and the advances in technology that we're using to gain more advantage is wonderful and we should do tons more of it. So what do you guys think? Jason, you, that's a lot of advantage. You answer first. I got to go. Sure. There's a cat. There's a cat bouncing off of one of my mews, scaring one of my owls. So I, I'm going to run outside, okay. chase it off. I'll be right back in. Talk to you in a sec. Uh, go get him. So I I would mostly agree. I think car hawking is an excellent way to uh, practice falconry. I, I think there are some definite safety concerns when it comes to it. And, and that's more human safety. It's more human safety that, that I'm more concerned with, but I, you're absolutely, I think that there isn't much of a difference than having five dogs pinned down, flush up a bird when your Falcon's in the perfect position. It's giving them every single opportunity uh, to succeed. And same thing with car hawking. I use a tea perch when I hunt and I use a dog. Those are both advantages as well. So I I think it's totally fine. Um, one of the big concerns that I think should be considered as well is you got to make sure it's legal in your state or country. So you don't want to be breaking the law, of course. And, yeah, and that's a factor. And that's that's definitely a factor whether you're deciding to do this sort of thing and and. Um, but I am in full support of car hawking. You just got to do it smart. Yeah. Well, Don't here's the thing. About it. <laughs> and when it comes down to like falconers who are now like, well, you know, we should probably talk to our state and make sure that this is illegal. I think that's ridiculous because here's the thing. What are the risks of car hawking? Let's talk. Uh, we'll talk about that shortly here. One, a safety risk of, you know, what if your hawk goes off and grabs some child in the face? Well, is it already illegal for your hawk or your dog or your cat or any of these things to go off and grab somebody by the face. Would you already be held liable for that kind of behavior? Yeah, you would. You definitely would. So we don't need a new law for that. It's already illegal to have your animal. You have to have control of your animal. And so that is just saying, hey, if you're a falconer and you're hunting like this, you need to be responsible. Because if you do things haphazardly, you're going to cause yourself some difficulties. Also, people say things like, well, you shouldn't do that while you're, you know, in a car or whatever. Well, there are also laws about your behavior in cars, right? Mm -hmm. So if you are doing something stupid in a car, like driving the wrong way on a road or some silly thing like that to accomplish your goal here, probably going to get in trouble for that. Mm Mm-hmm. Because there's already laws about that. Trespassing, same thing. All of these things. So I don't think we need new laws on this. I think there's nothing wrong with people going out and doing it as long as they are not violating the law. As long as they're not doing something that is going to put others in danger. um, Whether it's with your vehicle or your bird. I think you have to do it responsibly. Yeah. Well, and and, well, and we we have a lot, we fly a lot of different well we fly quite a few different species here that yeah 
are only successful from a car. It seems like it's so common for a lot of people here in the United States to fly Kestrels out of a vehicle. Yeah, and yeah, I've that's done the best a because lot. because we have so many starlings, and those starlings are so dang fast that there is just no chance you're going to be able to catch starlings with a kestrel on foot. Or, I know well, it's possible. Okay, it's to, possible, but yeah. the chance is extremely low. It's so, not high, and yeah. and what's even worse is that is that let's say you're an apprentice and you're flying a kestrel, right? Well, I think that it, there is something to be said about having success and flying your bird. Trying to hunt in the in the fields or on in pallets and stuff. This is something you can do. I have caught sparrows out of pallets. I have caught sparrows with my kestrel on foot, but the vast majority of them were from a car, and it was a lot of fun. And I know that that uh, you know, I know that people say that it's not very sporting, but I disagree with them. If you've ever seen the fight that occurs after a sparrow's got a hold of a starling, it's like a saker falcon on a bustard. It's yeah. These things are just as big as them. They've got all the tools the kestrels got from a very sharp beak to very sharp claws. And the the toes and, and claws <laughs> on a starling are longer than on a kestrel. They don't have as much of a grip, but they've got longer toes and claws. They're mean. Yeah, I also find it weird when people say, "Well, this isn't falconry." When the very definition of falconry is pursuing wild game with or wild quarry with a bird of prey. Mm -hmm. Those are the, those are pretty much just the two requirements. Yeah. Maybe it's not falconry that you like, or maybe it's not a sort of falconry that, that you enjoy, but it still is falconry. Yeah. Well, and it's people like the poetry of it, right? People like, Oh, it's my wilderness experience. And that is fine. We associate them. Well, and you got to think too, again, Americans in particular, we don't have a history. We don't have a long history of falconry. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's minuscule. Most countries do have a long history that it's associated with. Um, in Southeast Asia, like, again, there are so many people out there that will take out, uh, uh, sparrowhawks, Eurasian sparrowhawks, and they hunt them in town at cafes. They carhawk, they do it on foot, and they just like, hey, there's always sparrows. At eating at the feet of people eating in the outdoor cafes. We'll go hunt there. Because there is that rich history and that historical, um, you know, association for them that the people are like, hey, there's a falconer. Oh, cool. It caught a sparrow at our feet. We live in a country where we understand that food comes from plants and animals, not from the grocery store. And so seeing a sharpshin, I'm not sharpshin, uh, seeing a Eurasian sparrow hawk catch a sparrow at our feet while we're eating lunch at a cafe on private property is an exciting thing that happened to us rather than, oh, it's death from above. And so I'm not saying <laughs> that American falconers should be running around at cafes, but I'm just pointing out that it's there's it's considered totally normal, completely normal culturally in many Southeast Asian countries to just be hunting in the city. And again, that's not a wilderness experience, but that's stemming from cultures where falconry was about getting food, even if it's a pot full of sparrows for dinner. And so you know, the idea is still there. <laughs> I think that it has to be mentioned that in a, in the United States anyway, the vast majority of car hawking uh, is done on invasive species. Yes. Um, yes. Harmful invasive species yep. that are destroying our native species. Yep, and uh, and and worse. So yeah, uh, sparrows, starlings, and now the new Eurasian collared dove, which has almost completely 
replaced our native mourning doves. Mm-hmm. You rarely see mourning doves now. Almost all of them are collared doves. So if you ask me, I actually probably see a use lot. some more. I actually see quite a few mourning doves near the Jordan River, but that's it. Mm. Yeah, and it used to be like 20 years ago, you would see the occasional, um, like, Eurasian collar dove here and there. And mourning doves were mm-hmm. everywhere. Everywhere. Now you hear the Eurasian collar dove screams all the time. I mean, mm-hmm. right around me, I, I have populations of Eurasian collar doves that number in the thousands. You and see pigeons. them everywhere. Pigeons, pigeons and pigeons are, too. are getting insane, at least where I am. Uh, the pigeons are getting really bad. Mm-hmm. So, so it's the, like, let's hunt some pigeons. Yeah, <laughs> but they're hard. <laughs> when it comes to to taking invasive species, there's no hunting season. Doesn't require a hunting license. So I really question sometimes whether or not there's any kind of you know uh, restriction on that at all. I can understand you know something with a hunting season, duck, quail, or or. Um, morning dove or whatever but when it comes to invasives man we could use more of them gone mm-hmm. you ask me oh yeah yeah and so then so then in my mind the the biggest things like you guys already pointed out hey there's already laws in place for things like whether or not you're trespassing whether or not this or that you know um those kind of things are already in place we don't need new laws to accomplish that um are you doing it in an area where it's going to be safe for the bird? Well, there's always risks. You could be 100 miles out in the middle of sagebrush country, and if you're flying without a car too close to a barbed wire fence, your bird could, you know, are you flying too close to telephone poles? So the car factor, the safety is a factor, but it's certainly not the only one. You always have to worry about safety. Are you flying to, uh, you know, to, are you flying in eagle country with a falcon? Uh, I, we know a falconer who flies, he puts his falcons up before the sun has fully come up to try to avoid eagles. You know, it's like, okay. I mean, so there's always risks, but for me, um, the ethics is not about whether or not it's sporting. I think that argument at first sounds good. It sounds right. You're like, Oh, that's not sporting. But when you dissect it, it's a stupid thing. It's kind of like in Utah, we can't hunt big game with a crossbow. Because it's considered unsporting. I'm like, okay, you can shoot with a modern centerfire rifle. That's a lot easier than a crossbow. You can hunt with a compound bow with sights that is way more accurate than any crossbow. And easier to fire. Way and easier, easier to, to reload. And easier to handle. Yeah. It's but there's this idea. It seems like a crossbow. crossbow is a is a cross between a bow and a gun. It really isn't, just because it has a stock that looks gun-like. It's really not gun-like at all. It's a less accurate bow, and but it's like, it seems unsporting, and car hawking seems unsporting. Um, but one of the things that I worry perhaps too much is, even if you're following the laws, is public perception. Um, and that is why forever I did not make any falconry videos because I was overly worried that any time you as one falconer encounter something just like this person did on this video, you can go viral in a bad way and represent what with people who want to uh, rip on falconry. They will take something, maybe even out of context, and make falconry look bad. So 
I still, I haven't done car hawking for many years, but I'm, I'm in favor of it if it's done right, especially with micros, especially if you're getting a bird up and running. But my thoughts are, um, that if you're doing it right, then part of that has to be, are you factoring in being wise about how this may look? Now, your person can be like, I'm being legal. I'm doing nothing legally wrong, but I think it is good to be an ambassador. And so, you know, maybe going downtown in some big city is the wrong way to do it. Where if you're patrolling farmlands in a rural area or, you know, kind of an area that's, you know, people are more okay with it. But, you know, <laughs> have I don't know if you guys have, but I've certainly have when I've been out in the field not car hawking and still had people come and get in my face. That's wrong. You should, you should set that bird free. Okay. I throw it up in the air, huh, see, and then I call it back, huh, why is it coming back? Because it's trained to do so, you know. Yeah, I've had that too. It's like you're so, always going to have people getting in your face. I get occasional comments of people getting angry at me hunting rabbits, and, and it's, sorry guys, rabbits are at the bottom of the food chain, they're going to they're gonna be getting eaten by a lot of different things, mm-hmm. um, and especially the, you know, jackrabbits here, they're invasive, so we're encouraged to actually hunt as many of those as possible. Yeah. Uh, Here, it's, here's it's a the thought about that, we though. Want. But one question I wanted to ask real quick after your point, John. Yeah. Uh, so there's a thought about that specifically. Your comment, Ben, about um, perception, right? Mm-hmm. I think that this is actually a thing that falconers have been taking the wrong approach on all along. And that is, there's a belief in the falconry community that this all should be done in the dark. That the only time that people should ever be exposed to falconry is when they're seeing a wilderness show or or something like that. I disagree. Mm-hmm. I think the fact that we hide and that we we don't show people, that we don't give them opportunities to talk to us, you have no idea the number of people that I've been approached by because my bird took a starling on you know some strip of grass and they're like oh what what are you what are you doing what is that and i was like oh this is my kestrel and i go over the whole thing i go over all of the things that are involved with it i go i talk you know talk to them about the legality of falconry because they oftentimes have questions and you know that it's an ancient sport and how how the bird was acquired and you know, how we take care of them and the the care and dedication that we show towards these birds. And, you know, oftentimes, you know, when they're wild caught, they get released back into the wild. And the the thing about it is, is that most of the time, the vast majority of the time, I, I would say 95% of the time. I'd say it's higher than that. Yeah, yeah probably. But, <laughs> you know, I, I just, At least you know, for me. benefit of the doubt here, or, or uh, you know the thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they come out of it with a more positive opinion of falconry than they came into it with at least more educated i think i've probably only had two people that have been like you you really i don't want you ever to come around here anymore don't don't ever come uh, you remember the one woman who thought that she owned the quail that my bird went after yeah ben, <laughs> and screamed and yelled at us how we're killing her quail I, we've never killed one of your quail before my bird went after, was supposed to go after the starlings, but it went after one of the adult quail and didn't know what it was getting itself into. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Kestrel, she never did hold on to a quail. Uh, then again, I didn't really intentionally hunt them. 
Yeah. Uh, they just eat the same things that the starlings do. Mm. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think why why is it that I think you're right. All of the people, they, they always say, you know, we should hide from people and not show what we do. No, we, we should show what pe- we do. But we I think it's say, important hey, look, to be diplomatic about it. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. You know? which, is, which is great when, if we're sharing media and, and things like that. Uh, I think we need to provide a certain level of education. Mm-hmm. And, and I've, I've felt like I've missed the mark at that at times as well. And so I've feel like I've tried upping the quality or upping the education in, in my videos in a, in, a, in a general sense, and it's really, really helped the response. Mm. And and instead of just throwing throwing out videos here and there, and sometimes I do, and I'm like, ah, maybe remove it, and then I'll put put it back up doing it a little better. Uh-huh. Um, and, and with, with apps like TikTok, and it, when you, with YouTube, you have all the time in the world to explain yourself, talk, educate. I mean, we're talking for nearly an hour here. Yeah. And, we're and TikTok, a, a, explaining you got ourselves, we're TikToks, you got, you got one minute at the most. Well, actually I think they just released three minute videos now, but nobody's really doing more than, more yeah. than a minute. And, and so most videos are like 15 seconds. So it's like, how can you get that point across? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and still educate at the same time. And it can be difficult. It really can. Uh, but that's kind of what we need to be doing as Falconers. If we want to be creating content, I think we should be providing education. Like how uh, John was saying, he goes through the whole spiel. Uh, we can go through different parts of the spiel in our short videos. Uh, talk about hunting. If we say, uh, it, it just takes a little word change. Yeah, you know, hunting starlings with a kestrel, you can just put hunting invasive starlings with a kestrel, mm-hmm. and it and it changes the perception of it a lot. Yeah, uh, through my media so far, I have noticed it's it's a ninety nine percent like positive. Like out of every hundred comments I get, I maybe get like one, maybe two negative comments, and. Mm-hmm. I it's not very often I reach over a hundred comments on a video. It's pretty rare. So it is overwhelmingly accepted, and I think falconers we tend to focus so much on the negative. Yeah, and and it's it's kind of human nature. And falconers think that if one person says it negative, that means everybody else hmm. must be the same, and and they ignore all the positive and good comments and and. Or positive and good responses to it, I guess. And so, uh, there there is a lot more people in support of falconry than we really think. Yeah. Like, and 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 getting people educated on the sport, telling people how this benefits the birds, um, and and how it's an ancient relationship uh, can actually defend the sport for future generations, mm-hmm. uh, whether or not these the public is. Um, playing, or whether or not the public is a part of uh, the sport. Um, if they know about it and know that it does a good thing, they're going to support it in the future. Mm-hmm. So, speaking speaking yeah. of the future, um, and my final thoughts on on car hawking, anyway. Um, oh, I still have a question. The... I totally forgot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, remember it for for right now. Okay, I'll remember it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I think car hawking is a piece of the future of falconry and the reason that i think that is that 
A lot of our wild places are going away. A lot of our places to hunt are going away. Or getting smaller and smaller and more and more restrictions. So inevitably, if we want to have a new generation of falconers, they're going to have to hawk in an urban environment. Mm-hmm. So there are only there are only a few ways to hawk in an urban environment, and one of those, one of the most effective ways, is through the act of car hawking. Mm-hmm. And if falconers don't embrace this sort of thing and embrace some of the alternate forms of falconry, especially some of the ones that maybe are urban in nature, then we could be looking at the slow death of our sport that we love. Mm. And and I, we've been seeing this slowly occurring over time, but you know even just bet- so Ben and I have been friends for almost twenty years now, right? Yeah, we used to trap in places that are now covered in houses. We used to trap where Jason lives right now. Mm. People used so, to hunt where I live right now. Yeah, we Steve, used to hunt Steve, where you live. Steve used to hunt sage grouse right yep. here. <laughs> yeah, I can't speak to that far back, but you know, <laughs> we're only going back to the year two thousand. Yeah, the year two thousand is twenty years ago, twenty one years ago now. So, yeah, it's. I remember trapping in Eagle Mountain, and I remember trapping. We were trapping prairies and and. Things like that out there. So yeah, there was nothing in Cedar Valley, and now it's just everything is getting gobbled up. So it really is true that if you want to, you have to think outside of the box. Um, you know, I respect the old ways and try to keep a lot of them alive. Um, and that's yes. why l- large long wings. It seems nobody wants to fly them anymore. All the younger people, and that's fine. There's it's it, that's, really hard, but it is. It's getting harder and harder, and that's why like. I think lanterns, for example, are one of the ways to fly a larger long wing in a less rural environment. But, but that's so that that is a good point about car hawking that that is one avenue through which people can hunt in a more urban setting. But again, for me, one of my guiding principles again is always uh, thinking it through, just being wise about it, being diplomatic yeah. in your thinking and saying like, okay, am I likely to make a mistake doing it here? Or is this an area that's a good area for the bird, for me, for public perception? Um, <clears throat> so it just takes thinking. That kind yeah. of brings me to my question regarding yeah. the original video. How would you have done it differently? How mm. would you be car hawking differently than this individual? Good point. Well, here, do you want me to show you the video? I, I can just screen share it for you real quick. Well, we're only re- recording the audio, so... Yeah. I know, but so that you guys can see. Yeah. I just go live real quick, and it's playing. So how how would you be car hawking differently than this this person who had the, you know, the super viral video? Well, one thing that I can tell you right away is that I started car hawking back in 2002, and there wasn't a ton of people doing it. So there was a lot of different ways that I experimented with it. And I Ben gave me a bunch of suggestions. Hey, why don't you try something like this? This might be fun. So one of the ways that I did it was I dart hawked out the window. <laughs> and I didn't find it to be much of, of an advantage. Um, oftentimes when I would dart hawk out the window of the car, um, the bird would not be prepared to go after what I threw it at. So 
what I've learned over the over time is that it's much better, and I have a much better success rate, and I think it's just better with the birds to let them go on their own volition. And I think that that's one thing that this person might have. I, I don't I don't know how much I like you know two hand tossing. And this is this is not if this is what you like to do, I'm fine with that. It's not something I I think should be illegal or anything. Um, I just think that it looks bad. Mm-hmm. That it looks much worse than it is. The bird isn't <clears throat> being hurt or anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and people people always say, well, it's going from no wind to a lot of wind. They don't care. I, I've had birds jump out the window hundreds and hundreds of times, and they don't care. They get used to it. They know exactly what's coming. But I think that what he's trying to do is give it a little bit more advantage, and I don't think it's necessary. Is he but, trying to hold the wing? Like, what What I thought at first when I first saw this, I thought maybe he's holding down the wing so it doesn't hit the window. Hmm. Yeah, or or a bird will tend to, and it, like... And it, just, and it just looks like he's throwing because of the shakiness of the camera <laughs> or the weird angle that we're seeing it at. Mm-hmm. I wonder if he's just literally trying to hold in that wing just a little bit longer so it clears the window. Sometimes, um, uh, sometimes they will bait early, like they'll see the target through the windshield, and you don't want them to see that. So, yeah, maybe they don't don't really know the uh, art of using the A pillar to block the game, because <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that's exactly what I would always do. I always use that A pillar to hide the game, and I put the hawk's head right in front of the A pillar and move it so that it can't see it until I want it to see it. Um, with my Cooper's Hawk, I couldn't do that because I swear to you, they have x-ray vision. So I actually put, <laughs> I actually put a cardboard piece of cardboard in front of me when I would sit in the park passenger seat so that the Cooper's Hawk couldn't see through the front window. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it works. So the Coopers are, they're crazy. If, if, if he saw stuff out of the front window, he would go nuts trying to get to it. So what I did, I think might be happening there is that he's, keeping the bird from baiting before he's ready to, to serve it. Mm-hmm. And, but still it's it just the way that it looks to a person is a double hand, you know, th- toss Throw. the bird out, right? You're tossing the bird out almost like a football or a it's all, ball or something. It's all perception. I don't think there's yeah. anything particularly wrong with it. I think that if, if there was something you could say, this guy probably shouldn't have do, been done doing that is kids are present. Because yeah, or at the park, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. probably just a little too, uh, too public. Maybe a little bit too risk for the bird or for for driving it, and doing this at the same time. And also, maybe kids freaking out and seeing it, or maybe a risk of the bird grabbing a kid. I wouldn't have uh, even put a kestrel out at that yeah. point. I, it's just one of those situations where the last thing you want to do is scar somebody, and. Mm-hmm. I think that if there is an ethical question to this video, it's that right there. Hmm. It's throwing a bird out with children present. I know that that the Harris's are not prone to going after people. Mm -hmm. However, it's not a Kestrel. They are capable of doing harm. Kestrels are, I, I think, are pretty safe, but I still wouldn't put one out in front of a child. One of my biggest fears with being in public... Uh, hawking in public is if my bird catches something and there happens to be an individual nearby that doesn't like that, that that's happening and they harm my bird Mm. that happened to my sponsor. Hmm. Um, And uh, 
you you remember Mark? He his bird got shot by somebody, mm-hmm. and when his bird was on a rabbit. Wow! And this was out in the middle of nowhere. Wow. And so, like, would somebody come up and try to stomp or kick my bird if it was on a pigeon in public? And yeah. And so I'm like, I I would wait until like nobody was around, and then I'd kind of go for it. And so. I, I I I have a bit more of a fear that there's just I'm going to run into the wrong person that decides to hurt my bird to try to save whatever it's catching. Mm. So and and, and I I don't know if my fear is silly, but no, I not feel at like all. It's happened before, but but it falls <laughs> no, not at all. It falls into out. that common sense, you know. It's like think things through. Any any form of, mm-hmm. of hunting, not just car hawking, but any any of them. Where are you going? Who might you encounter? Both with other wildlife that might you might come in contact with to uh you know to i mean I've had two eagles shot at, and you know so it's like mm-hmm. in areas with no gun no shooting posted everywhere it's like okay where where are you gonna be are there gonna be power lines are there you know what are you going to encounter are you yeah. gonna encounter people who are gonna be upset you just you have to be wise, you have to be legal, you have to be wise, and uh you know you just have to think it through mm-hmm. so the majority of the places where I hunt are neighborhoods where I live and people that I know, so it's a little bit easier. But even if someone I know is out, I will still refuse my bird to slip. I will pull them down and keep them from even seeing it. Um, the other things that I watch for are things like no trespassing. Mm-hmm. I don't want to get I don't want to get in trouble with people. I don't want you know a person that's got no trespassing out and and they have some starlings in their front lawn or whatever which you know it isn't really illegal for not if someone doesn't have a no trespassing sign um for you to walk on their lawn or something like that but um i will oftentimes knock on their door and say hi and tell them what happened or something like that especially if you know they've got a camera or something like that i want to make sure that they know exactly what's going on you know mm. and be kind to them but I think that, that that's the, the key to those things. Like, I'll, I will even hunt in other places. Like, I've, after a winter storm, a good place to find things is at the end of the Walmart parking lot sometimes. Right? So, mm-hmm. I'm not telling you that you should do this. This is just something that I've done in the past. Mm-hmm. And um, if anyone is nearby, if there's a car that's driving right there or, or someone standing 20 feet away, I won't do it. Because I, I, the last thing that I want to have happen is my bird goes out and catches a starling, is struggling with it on the ground, and somebody else comes and injures my bird, or um, even creates a bad situation where they're you know trying to grab it or or free the other bird, or because that's mm-hmm. not a situation that's going to be good. So you have to be cognizant of what what you're doing, and trust me, the the idea that you can't control that situation is a farce. You can. You can because I do it all the time. Yeah. Well, we're, we're we're over the hour. Let's. Why don't you guys both do uh, what you want to say for just kind of a last wrap up thought? Awesome. Uh, well, thank you guys so much for having me with you guys today. I really, really appreciate being on the podcast with y'all. Uh, hopefully, we can continue and do a few more. I had a great time. Uh, yeah, we ought to do a red tail one. Yes, definitely got to do a red tail one. Yep, and sure. if you guys are interested, I do also have a podcast. Uh, it's Wilderness Wonders Podcast. Uh, you can find that on most podcast streaming uh, apps. Uh, I do notes on, I think it's on Spotify and on Apple and on several others. So 
you could nice. You can find a few podcasts there. I got to interview guys like Matthew Molinix and Steve Chingrin, um, and um, Anita Wolf. Uh, so mm-hmm. uh, a few pretty cool uh, people have been in the sport for a very long time and have even written some books. Uh, you can also find uh, my personal content at Wilderness Wonders on YouTube and TikTok. So hopefully we can see you guys there. Check them out. Everybody go over there and show them some love. Definitely. Don't forget to like and subscribe. And... <laughs> <laughs> smash that subscribe smash, button. Smash that subscribe button. <laughs> we need you. <laughs> All right, John, any last thoughts? No, I just uh, I think that um, when it comes to this sort of thing, it's important to keep an open mind and to understand that even though something that someone else is doing is something that you're not a big fan of, it doesn't necessarily mean that mm. it's ethically wrong. Um, and that falconry is all about giving our birds advantage. So uh, saying that something isn't sporting is an opinion yeah. in most cases. But, but yeah, I think that uh, this is a way, another way to enjoy falconry, uh, particularly with birds that are are not well suited for other types of flying. Doesn't mean that it's not possible. I know there's going to be people there that say, "No, I caught uh, twenty five sparrows with my kestrel off the fist." Well, that's great. Congratulations. Um, I didn't Mm. catch that many off the fist, (laughs) but I've done well in car rocking. So. Uh, but yeah, uh, again, check out my channel, Falcon Sledge, on uh, YouTube. Do all the subscribe and like and stuff. That would be awesome. All right. Well, yeah, and just to wrap it up on my end, uh, again, I think uh, if you're going to do car hawking, uh, think it through, be wise, always be legal, be safe, be wise, uh, be diplomatic. And uh, just like Jason was saying, too, you find ways to educate um, rather than being abrasive with people. And, uh, just like John was saying, you know, be sure to, uh, find ways to properly share and that it's better rather than hiding falconry in the closet to share it and expose people to it in a positive way. And, uh, the more we can do that, I think, uh, I think the better. So, uh, but hey, we appreciate you all listening. Hope you'll uh, catch us next time on the Falconry Podcast. And as always, happy hawking.